Hello and welcome to The Planet Today, where we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy. It's Friday, September 8th, 2023. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with producer and co-host Nick Janusa. Nick, welcome back. I missed you dearly last week. <laughs> I missed you too, Matty. Um, happy fall, everyone. Unofficial start to fall, everyone. I uh, hope you're enjoying the 90-degree temperatures. Really feels like fall, that little chill in the air. <laughs> Um, just been great so far. No, in all seriousness, I do like warm weather, so I'm fine with it for now, but, uh, definitely concerning. Yeah. Uh, to say the least. And that's, uh, actually going to be our third story. So that's a little, I think third, I don't know. We, we're going to talk taster. about that today. <laughs> yeah. Little taster. I'm just throwing little tasters out for you guys. So there you I go. wonder how many listeners are like, thank goodness. Nick is back. 30 minutes with just Matt was rough last week. And let me be the first <laughs> to tell you it was, I listened back to every single episode we do. And I, I don't hate the sound of my own voice. Like, it's something you get used to when you do this that Nick and I are doing. Um, yeah, I, I stopped listening last week. I couldn't get through it. I was just <laughs> like, this is too much monologue. This is too much me. I am so glad you're back. Yeah. I, f- I feel like it's just like it, it, anyone would, would stop listening halfway through. Like, it, unless you, like, really, truly are, like, a narcissist and you love hearing the sound of your own voice. But... Yeah, I'd be in the same boat. If I was doing a 30-minute podcast by myself, I'd be in the same boat. And that's why we deeply appreciate our co-host, our producer, and everyone else who stepped up along the way to make this show possible. Let's get into today's episode right now. Time for our quick hits. The first one is from USA Today, where Dina Voiles Pulver writes Flamingo Fallout, iconic pink birds showing up all over the East Coast after Idalia. So, first of all, Hurricane Idalia was the strongest hurricane to make landfall in the Big Bend region of Florida in nope. over 125 years, causing life threatening storm surge from the Tampa area up through Big Bend. Adalia had maximum wind speeds of 125 miles per hour and set records for high water levels in Tampa Bay, Clearwater Beach, and the Steinhatchee River. Three people also unfortunately died as a result of the hurricane. But I want to switch gears to what's called Flamingo Fallout, where flamingos have now been spotted in Alabama, North and South Carolina, both coasts of Florida, Tennessee, and even as far north as Virginia and Ohio. A fallout happens when flamingos get caught in hurricanes and then dropped out along the coasts. This specific fallout has been called unprecedented because of how many different places the flamingos ended up. Some of these birds can be traced back to the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico thanks to bird tagging. Birds are able to fly through hurricanes by staying in the eye of the storm, but some get diverted when trying to fly around the storm before eventually being dropped out of the heavy winds. Yeah, so that part of this article was one of the most eye-opening things for me because I just genuinely had no idea like how birds made it through hurricanes. I kind of just assumed like they flew in circles and then the winds died yeah. down enough where they could fly out. But no, apparently they get like caught up in it and then just dumped out in Ohio all the way from Florida, which is 
scary and terrifying, I'm sure, for the birds, but also like really fascinating to study how far they went in such a short amount of time. Yeah. And the thing I'm really interested in is I know flamingos live 20 to 30 years in the wild. So these are birds that are going to live for a while. And, you know, I'm curious as the climate changes, will it happen and has it happened enough so far where these transplant birds might be able to set up a colony in Florida or some of the other states? Like if enough resources that they need are present, are we going to have, they're not native, but like a, a new natural colony of Tennessean right. flamingos? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, this is a super, super interesting one. And, like, to think, just think about how far that is. Like, Yucatan Peninsula, Mexico, all the way to, like, North Carolina or, like, Virginia. Yeah. It's just an unbelievable amount of distance to, to, to think about. Um, and it's got to be completely disorienting to them, to be honest. Like, I feel so bad that they have to go through. But a really crazy story, one that I did not know at all. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of times when we focus on the fallout from hurricanes and how it impacts people and wildlife. We talk a lot about destruction. So when I was looking for an article to, to talk about Adalia, I figured, you know, we, we've gone over this ad nausea on this show. And if you are up to date on climate change and environmental news, you know that there's more hurricanes because of climate change. The hurricanes are more intense because of climate change. Yeah. Storm surge is more intense. Like everything is getting worse when it comes to hurricanes. So I was like, how do we talk about this in a way that's, refreshing and new and something that you know we can learn from without feeling just total doom and gloom and i thought man the fact that flamingos have been spotted all over and this isn't like a new thing this is something that's happened before i thought this was so fascinating yeah it really is it's a wild story wild story for wildlife all right let's move on to the next <laughs> one <laughs> let's get right into it so our next story is by brad plumer of the new york times and he writes there's a vast source of clean energy beneath our feet and a race to tap it. So I feel as if whenever Nick and I talk about renewables and, and I shouldn't just say me and Nick, you know, this is kind of like a greater U.S. approach right now based on just the scale of these renewables. But whenever we discuss this, we're talking about solar, we're talking about wind and what we're going to focus on with the story is geothermal energy. And the way that it works is by using naturally hot reservoirs underground to power small turbines that create electricity. So think about, you know, the Earth's crust and think about the Earth's core. And the further deep down you get into the Earth, the hotter it is. What geothermal does is it taps into that heat to create energy. Currently, it produces less than half a percent of U.S. electricity due to the fact that there's not that many sites that have the capacity or the necessary conditions to produce it. But this article highlights how some experts think it's possible to use drilling techniques that we've used for fracking to tap further into the earth and access more heat, which is going to have a tremendous potential to create really abundant carbon-free electricity. Yeah, so the geothermal companies pursuing this approach are cracking open dry, hot rock and then injecting water into the fractures that they create. This basically creates a manufactured reservoir to generate geothermal energy. Other companies plan to essentially use the hot temperatures found in the earth to generate steam for energy. So the main problem right now with these projects is that they are unproven and they are costly. There are also less incentives for geothermal right now than for other renewables. It's tougher to get permits. And drilling can lead to unforeseen consequences, including earthquakes, if not done 
safely, correctly, sustainably. You know, there's a lot of different factors yeah. that lead us to not think drilling is is the best course of action. And, you know, that's why people, well, part of the reason why people are so anti-fracking. Um, yep. You know, this article goes on to give more examples of communities that are looking into doing this. But the main idea is basically we take the decrease in cost of fracking, which, you know, as a reminder, fracking is incredibly harmful to the atmosphere and the local water supply. So just because the cost is decreasing doesn't mean we should all of a sudden switch our push to frack more. It's not really as cheap as it sounds when you factor in the associated healthcare costs for communities that neighbor fracking sites and really every yeah. environmental harm that comes from all the methane that's going to leak out the water supply itself you know running downstream impacting plants vegetation wildlife yeah there's really not a good argument for fracking but we can take the methods for fracking and apply it to clean energy. Yeah, I, I, I saw the words uh, used drilling techniques used for fracking, and I got very uh, cautiously um, pessimistic about this. Like, I, I want to be optimistic about <laughs> it, but, like, the reality is, is, like, you are doing quite a bit of damage when you when you frack into the earth. And, um, yeah, I don't know. There's Like you said, there's, there's so many factors that go into, go into this. And like, <clears throat> and like, I think about the communities that have been like decimated because of fracking, and I'm I'm like, we just got to do a lot more research before we before we go in and just tap it like this. Uh, this guy says. Yeah, and I think like I, I agree with you wholeheartedly there, but I, I think that what this article really does a good job of highlighting is like the problems with fracking are mostly related to extraction of oil and less related to the actual drilling process. So for me, I kind of took this as like, we can't just do this willy nilly. Like we need to go in and do this correctly, which I mean, that should kind of be the the standard for everything. (laughs) But like we, we need to make sure we're doing this the right way. And you know, it's not going to have those same harmful side effects to the water supply because we're injecting water and using that to create steam Mm -hmm. and create heat rather than injecting water to push yeah, out oil. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, it makes I mean, sense. You know, geothermal is something that is absolutely abundant, like the article says. Right now, it doesn't really produce that much electricity in the U.S., and we are always down to hear about more carbon-free, responsible energy sources. And You know, I, I hope that at scale this can become one and, and have a really major positive impact on the atmosphere as a whole, to be honest. Yeah, it's like you always say, it's going to take um, multiple things. It's not just going to take one thing. And having, um, you know, it's it's another piece of the pie. Yeah, exactly. So that's what it can hopefully be one day. So, all right, let's get into our next story from the New York Times as well, where Mira, Royana Sakul, Christopher Favell, Blackie Miliozzi, and Eli Murray write, America is using up its groundwater like there's no tomorrow. So this is a story map. If you open up the article, it's it's a really interesting set of maps that are used in tandem with little blurbs, little excerpts, and then it goes into a full article. It, it really just does a fantastic job of highlighting how groundwater has been used in the U.S. and, and how low certain areas have gotten with their groundwater. Um mm-hmm. If you're a time subscriber, definitely check it out. If you're not, feel free to message me and 
you know, I could, I could gift, I think like 10 articles a month. DMs are open at Planet Today Pod. You've done that for me plenty of times. <laughs> so this is definitely an open, open shout out. Basically what the Times found with this was an analysis of water levels at tens of thousands of American sites. And nearly half of those had declined significantly as we are using more water than can naturally be replenished. The aquifers that they wrote about here supply 90% of the nation's water systems, which have turned parts of the U.S. into extremely productive farmland, but at the cost of depleting our groundwater sources. The authors say that their decline in groundwater hurts the American economy and society as a whole, and basically what this comes down to is sprawling cities using more and more water and industrial farms also using tremendous amounts of water. This analysis found that every year since 1940, for example, more wells have had falling water levels than rising levels. Much of this problem can be attributed to a lack of a cohesive plan for how to use groundwater sustainably. Hydrologists tend to study groundwater at the local level or on one region. Some states have plans to drain their aquifers entirely, then letting them replenish. Others have plans for how quickly they'll use their groundwater over the next several years. Yeah, so another issue is that climate change is kind of just making this entire problem worse. As the planet warms, there's going to be less snowpack on mountains, which means less snow melt that replenishes those aquifers. Also, more intense rainfall from climate change doesn't mean more rainfall entering the aquifers themselves. Since soil can only hold so much water, much of the rainfall will get back into the ocean as surface runoff, rather than, you know, mm-hmm. the soil not filling up and being able to take on all of the water that comes down over a gradual rainfall, over, you know, a, a standard storm that the soil is built to to withstand, that's not going to be happening. So you're getting yeah. a lot more runoff, getting a lot more flooding, and that ultimately just isn't good for really any part of the environment, but in this case, specifically groundwater. So... The other thing is, yeah. is Nick and I can get into a huge discussion on farming strategies in the U.S. and go way over the 30 minutes that we try to keep these episodes under. Oh, yeah. But I think for now, the best use of our time is to say that we as American society have a major reliance on groundwater to make up for growing water-intensive crops in drought-prone regions. Yeah, I was just going to say, kind of to touch on that last point, the western united states is way more prone to this at least right now than the the eastern uh and middle uh united states like they last year didn't they have like literally one of the worst um snow seasons in terms of like they had basically no snow melt a lot of regions yeah they couldn't a lot of regions were very yeah, very a lot of regions that. yeah so uh another issue that's just going to intensify over time um and it does bring up the question of how are farmers using water? How are we um, irrigating our crops, our soil, and all that stuff? And do we need to be growing X, Y, and Z? You know, all that stuff. So, like you said, yeah. we don't need to get into that. But I mean, alfalfa, almonds, like so many crops yeah. that the amount of water it takes to produce a small amount of, of crop output, I don't know, at what point do we say, like, we can't do this here? Yeah, and exactly. then it gets into this whole issue of, supporting farmers who now have to change their approaches and their strategies. So I don't know. I mean, I mean like we can extrapolate this whole problem across really everywhere in the U S like we've talked about Phoenix and how there's golf courses there when Phoenix residents are, are, you know, running out of groundwater to support their city because 
there isn't much in Phoenix. So they bring it in across different pipelines and right. You know, it's not just Phoenix, right? It's, it's all over. It's me and you eventually like New York, Rhode Island. These are States that right now we're doing okay. But what happens when other places lose their groundwater and people start moving here and we start overusing the groundwater we have here, you know, it's same issue. It's a huge, huge problem that, you know, this is one of those things where, like, I don't envy the policymakers that have to take these challenges on because right. these are problems that aren't going away anytime soon. They're not going to solve themselves. And in fact, with the population of the world, of the U.S., wherever we really want to look at it, growing as much as it is, we are going to need more water, not less. And yeah. we don't have that, frankly. Yeah. For sure. And like blind capitalism, like just growing stuff because it's selling and like uh, and it's not really meant to be grown in a certain location is going to put us down the wrong path. Like we were meant to be in these locations growing certain crops and certain vegetables, foods, all that stuff, flowers. And if you're trying to put something where it doesn't belong, you're going to have to use more resources and more transportation methods and all this other stuff to get it out to. All right, well said. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we have two more stories for you. Uh, One is not so fun. Last one is fun. Stay tuned. Today's episode of The Planet Today is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance, daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. To the planet today, folks. Next up, Europe broils in heat wave that fuels fires in France and Spain. Europe experienced a pretty nasty heat wave this week, which resulted in thousands of people evacuating due to wildfires in Spain and France as wildland firefighters worked to put out those fires. Unfortunately, two people did die as a result of the wildfires, which adds to the hundreds of heat-related deaths as a result of the high temperature that the continent as a whole has faced in the past week. Uh, really just expanding upon a hot summer that Europe has faced. Spain's prime minister, Pedro Sanchez, put it best, climate change kills. The article says climate scientists say heat waves are more intense, more frequent, and longer because of climate change, and coupled with droughts, have made wildfires harder to fight. 
This article also comes at a time when a major heat wave hit the eastern U.S., with several cities breaking Labor Day records, including Minneapolis at 98 degrees Fahrenheit and Atlantic City at 94 degrees Fahrenheit. Washington, D.C.'s mayor called for a heat emergency on Tuesday, and Pittsburgh saw many schools go to remote due to the heat. Yeah, New York was also very hot this week. The humidity basically made it so my body couldn't evaporate sweat, which is always uh, (laughs) just the grossest part about hot, humid summers. Um, Yep. And, you know, my my thinking is, like, these aren't isolated issues, right? We talked about how this happened in Europe. We're talking about this happening in the U.S. It's, It's happening all over. Are we going to get to a point where, similarly to how, like, Pittsburgh saw a bunch of schools go remote, are we going to have heat days the way that you and I grew up having snow days? Wow. That's a wild thought, and it's honestly very realistic. I, I feel like – I don't know if this happens, and I, I'd love to hear from our listeners if they – if anyone lives there. Like western United States, like I'm thinking like Arizona, New Mexico, like stuff like that. Do you have times where they just straight up cancel school because it's literally like 120 or like 123 – and you have to go to school. Like I just can't imagine that like these AC units are like equipped to handle like 123 degrees. I know it's dry, but I don't I don't care. I still think it's way too hot. Yeah, I have no idea. And, and the thing that's crazy about it is like you know you brought up air conditioning. It's great. It's necessary in those kind of temperatures. It's also something that's really amplifying the climate problem. So it's it sucks yeah. that like you know, our, our temporary comfort solution, which is required, right? People die because of heat. People die because of dehydration. You need to cool your body off. I'm not saying not to, but one of the easiest way to do that is, is use air conditioning and air conditioning is something that's going to contribute to the climate problem. But then you also have like, all right, well, instead of doing that, let me go jump in my pool. And then it gets into the water usage that we talked about before the break. So there are just so many minor, not minor, they're all big issues but like so many things that we take for granted on our day-to-day yes that impact the climate crisis and it's just like it's all so connected yeah it's like a triple-edged sword that just keeps spinning and you just never can get a handle on it um that was a yeah that was a terrible image but anyway <laughs> um yeah just just really really rough and like especially when we had that story i'm just thinking now um about a story we did about people's reluctance you know, in, in some areas to have AC units and stuff like I don't think it'll take too much longer. Like, I think you're you know, I know, like they live in moderate climate, all this stuff. We're going to get to a point where we just are going to need it. And like and then, you, like you said, electricity goes. Whew. So, yeah, just a just a multifaceted issue. That's, that's yeah. really rough. And that's where, you know, more renewables that aren't going to make air conditioning a self amplifying problem become one of if not the most important part of fighting climate change like people can cool off yeah. reliably if their energy is coming from the sun and they're not creating more emissions so right 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 you know it's not like we don't have the solutions it's not like we don't know what we need to do it's just damn everything really is so connected yeah yep all right our last quick hit of the week speaking of everything's connected is from reuters and it's titled deforestation in brazil's amazon falls 66 percent in august i told you we were going to catch up on this (laughs) so some good news to close out this week another shout out to brazilian president luis inacio lula da silva who promised to end deforestation after it reached record highs under then president jair bolsonaro lula said this decline was due to the great work of brazil's environment ministry and the federal government 
And speaking of that department, Environment Minister Marina Silva said this is a significant mark of the environmental policy because deforestation tends to spike during the late summer. This decline still means that 563 square kilometers or 217 square miles were still cleared this month. But a 66.1% decline in deforestation is massive. The article says that some experts worried about the drier August and September months leading to more deforestation, putting the 40% reduction in deforestation from January to July in jeopardy. But so far, so good. Yeah, this comes after Brazil's Rainforest Summit led to a list of unified environmental policies from eight Amazon nations who all agreed to boost regional cooperation. Unfortunately, they didn't agree upon a common goal to end deforestation, but look, this is still a really good step forward. Yeah, absolutely. And like, we were so worried. I remember, I can't remember when this was, but we were so worried, like, oh, we had great numbers, you know, and then it was right back up or something like that from, from January to February. Yeah, January to February. Yep. And then, and now to hear this news, it's fantastic. You know, like, the Amazon is a massive part of this climate change issue. They call it the lungs of the earth. So, yeah, it's it's massively important um, to fighting climate change. And the more we can fight deforestation, the better off we are in Brazil and across the world. Yeah, absolutely. And, and something I want to just highlight for the listeners is what you said, you know, towards towards the end of our summary there. This still means that 500 plus square kilometers, 200 plus square miles were cleared this month. So it's not like the fight to end deforestation ends here. You know, this is something that it's not going to go from record high deforestation to reforestation just like that. So looking at this as a 66% decline is amazing. This is such, such good news. But we still need to keep fighting for this. And I think something the article closes out with that I want to close this episode out with is World Wildlife Fund's Brazil director, Mariana Napolitano, said that more is still needed to be done, including traceability and transparency in the livestock, gold, and other commodity trades. And look, that means we need to know where our products are coming from, where our meat's coming from, where gold is coming from, where wood is coming from, our lumber, stuff like that, because we need to be able to know that the companies that we are buying things for, the the industries that we are supporting, are not contributing to deforestation. So this is great news, but like I alluded to earlier, the fight to save the Amazon is far from over. Yeah, agreed. And I think the, like you said, the fight is still ongoing, but it is nice to see at least some sort of consistency, like where we had Bolsonaro, who was just erratic and like deforestation was running rampant. It's it's nice to see that Lula has it at least somewhat under control. So definitely. And, you know, like I said, more work to do, but off to a great start the first eight months of uh, of this presidency for Lula. So that's going to do it for today's episode of TPT. We will be back next Friday for another one. But until then, please go give the show a five-star rating and review wherever you can. Follow our socials at Planet Today Pod. Nick Chanusa produces our show, who makes all the music you hear throughout it. Nick, where can people keep up with your stuff? You can keep up with me at soundcloud.com slash budlincape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out, y'all. Our logo is made by Kaylee Veets. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here next Friday. Peace.